Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Welcome into episode 275 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, this homestand hasn't been the best for the Bruins in the win-loss column since the All-Star break, but they fell to the Lightning 3-2 in a shootout. Let's get right into the opening shifts. Bridget, let's start with you. Yeah, so um, I, I mentioned this at the end of last podcast that I thought that the Lightning were a really good team to test the Bruins and see um basically what their bounce back could be uh, because they're in the division and because they've been playing well. And and that's the kind of team that you're going to have to beat in the playoffs. You, you might meet them in the playoffs uh, as soon as the first round or just at some point on your way to the Eastern conference final. So uh, they get down, didn't look like a great start, uh, a, a great bounce back when they got down two to nothing, but then they fought back and, and, uh, were able to tie things up at two and then force the overtime go and then go into the shootout where they eventually uh, didn't score. So uh, they lost, but uh, the effort was much better. And when we talked to coach after the game, he said, you know, he thought that they, they played a good game aside from maybe the, the power play. And we'll get into that as well. Yeah. That ties into my opening shift, which we'll focus on just a few of the negatives. Um, from from that loss and one Linus Almar gives up a soft first goal that one doesn't worry me so much because Linus Almar's a really good goalie and occasionally it just happens uh two as Bridget alluded to the power play goes 0 for 6 including 0 for 3 in the third period two of those power plays were in the final 10 minutes golden opportunity to win the game they weren't able to do it Power play has been slumping in general for, for a couple of weeks now. It's a two for its last 28. So uh, we can definitely get into that. Obviously that's a little more concerning because that slump is now, you know, getting longer and longer. Uh, and then the third thing that stood out is that that is a tough game for the, for the third line, um, which on, uh, on Tuesday was James Van Reems, like Morgan geeky and Anthony Richard now, Van Riemsdyk did score a goal on uh, an extra attacker situation during a delayed penalty call when he was out there with the, the big guns. Um, but that line, when they were together, kind of got caved in, spent a lot of time in their own zone. I thought Geeky had a little bit of a rough game. I don't think that's really where Anthony Richard, uh, you know, appreciate appreciate his hustle, but he's, he's not an NHL third liner. So I feel like that's just an area that's just, we've we've talked about it, but it's just screaming out for an upgrade and improvement of, of some kind yeah and definitely want to talk about that curious to circle back to our conversation from last episode scott about um how their performance 
last night against Tampa Bay if 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 they deserve another game with the rolling out the same the same personnel and based on your commentary there I think I know where you might feel um for me the the, the big storyline heading into last night and let's be honest even after the game because you know regular season games come and they go but um the Bruins recognizing Brad Marchand as 1000th career NHL regular season game all with the Boston Bruins as we know um, it's crazy that he's already played a thousand games, but then again, we think back to 2010, where were we all and where were the three of us? So it's been, it's been quite a, uh, you know, a duration for him, um, entering the league, entering the franchise, um, starting off in Providence for, you know, two, three seasons, cracking the Bruins lineup as a fourth liner. And then eventually not too long after finding his way into the top six and, Never looking back. Yes, he was a part of a Stanley Cup champion in 2011, uh, a runner-up in 2013, integral in those teams. But I would say, and they mentioned on the broadcast, from the World Cup of Hockey on, he really took on uh, an elite role in in this league, and he really took a step, an elevated step in his his career. Here we are at 1,000 games, and he still has a lot of gas left in the tank. Yeah, and he after the game, and he's talked about this before too. But um, I know Bergeron mentioned the World Cup of Hockey when he was in the booth with Nesson during the second period, and Marchand, you know, seconded that after the game that that really was a turning point um, because he's on this team with, you know, that that Canada roster, like any Canadian international best on best roster, is like just a who's who of the best players in the world. And he said he kind of went into it looking around like, wow, like I can't believe I'm on a team with these guys. And he felt like he was there in part, maybe in large part because he had chemistry with Patrice Bergeron and he figured they just wanted to, you know, keep some combinations together, guys that had played together. And he said, you know, as that tournament went on and as he practiced with those guys, he sort of started to feel like he, like he actually belonged and he wasn't just, you know, um, the, the wing Bergeron's wingman and you know that he actually deserved to be there on his own and, and could play with those guys so and for people who might not remember like he had an awesome tournament him him Bergeron and Crosby were all together on a line and that line just like took over that tournament they were dominant um and yeah his his best seasons came after that you know we're talking what, six, seven years into his career at that point, and that is really when he became an elite player, and then he stayed at that level, you know, for probably about six years, basically right up until last year when the double hip surgery, um, you know, set him back and resulted in a little bit of a down season, and now this year he's bounced right back to, you know, maybe he's not, like, one of the two or three best wingers in the NHL, but he's probably back to one in the top 10, you know, he's having a really good season. So um, yeah, I mean, a a lot to get into there just with his legacy and and everything he's accomplished and where he stands in Bruins history, because that the thousand games is awesome. And he's the eighth one in Bruins history to do it, but it's also the elite level that he's played at. And, you know, he's pushing his way into like top 10 Bruin ever depending on how much longer he goes, like you could be talking about top five. Hell, if he's captain of a Stanley cup team, like you're probably moving him ahead of Bergeron. Like it's, it's crazy. He's, 
you know, he's not at the end yet. So there's still, there's still higher he can go. Yeah. And we talked about his, his international play and him realizing like, Oh, he was as good as he was good enough to play alongside Cindy Crosby, who, by the way, he, he spends a lot of time within the summers they train together. Uh, and so does McKinnon. Uh, Cause they're all, I think they're all from Nova Scotia or they all, they all train in Nova Scotia. Um, and so, so yeah, he, he's able to see himself on that stage and hopefully he's still at this level two years from now, uh, just about two years from now when the Olympics takes place in Italy and he can be back on that team Canada. And um, we've, we talked about this uh, two episodes ago, how unfortunate it's been that um, for several different reasons, international play for the NHLers hasn't been around for the last several years because of the pandemic, not going to two Olympics in a row. Um, hopefully he's still at this level two years from now, because um, he would have been able to make the, the last two teams for sure uh, as well. So uh, somebody I did, unless Brian, you have anything to add to this? Um, so somebody that I noticed and this just came to me, so so bear with me. Uh, is back into a slump is Jake DeBrusque. Um, he has no points in his last six games, and I just I just kind of found myself noticing him just not not having it. I don't know over the last few games, and then and also I feel like Shattenkirk has kind of disappeared a little bit. Um, I was just. T- mentally taking note of, of some players that I thought maybe um, were struggling a bit, or even if they even if struggling is not the right word, they just weren't contributing recently. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's fair to bring up Bridget. I think that uh, it's interesting that I'm, I'm not the one to bring up to brusque right now on the podcast, um, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's, is it a coincidence that you know a stretch where he's quiet, the team, the team's struggling a bit? Um, I, I just think that when when DeBrusque is playing his best and he's producing, the team is also finding success. And and I know that's unfair to put that on one player to be like when he's not producing, they're not winning. But it it does seem to be the case. Like when he's when he's producing, your depth is on display. When he's not, uh, it's not. I think another name to bring up to be fair because we've talked about him a lot this year is Trent Frederick. We've, we've given him a lot of praise this year and he has one point in his last five games. And um, I could pull up the the last 10 games in a minute to see what, what that is, but he's also run dry. And, and so, you know, your depth scoring hasn't been where it was before the all-star break, certainly in those three, four weeks leading up to the all-star break. And, and I think special teams has gone a little bit dry here at times too. So um you add that into some of the sloppiness from the team out of the all-star break and the defensive lapses. It's just, it's been kind of a, uh, a bit of a shitstorm, for lack of better words, and not so much against Tampa. It was better against Tampa as, as you guys mentioned, but yeah, DeBrusque, you know, he needs to produce more and, and Frederick does too, um, especially when it matters most later on this season. Yeah. It's like, you know, certainly DeBrusque zero points, Frederick, zero points since the all-star breaking stands out Morgan geeky one point Danton Heinen one. And then that whole rotation of, you know, fourth line guys who sometimes get bumped up to the third line, Lauco, Bokvist, Steen, Anthony Richard, zero points for all of them. Like, so at a time when you're 
you're hoping to see your your secondary scoring, you know, really kind of get to the level where it was. Look, they've had secondary scoring at times this year, but at a time where you really want to see that solidify leading up to the trade deadline, right now it's doing the opposite. Right, right now it's creating questions where, you know, what was it like just around the trade? I mean, just around the uh, All Star break, I was saying I think you know defense might be emerging as um, a bigger area of need because I was actually feeling pretty good about the forward group at that time. And now all these guys are going quiet at once. And it's like, uh, actually, you know, it actually really does look like they could use another call it middle six or, or third line score. Um, someone to add a little extra punch there in the middle to lower part of the lineup. Um, you know, that still time again, I, I do think the Bruins can wait and, see how things play out and wait out the market. I don't think they have to jump into anything unless there's a deal there that's too good to pass up, but this isn't really what you want to see leading up to the trade deadline. Um, You know, it's just, it's creating more questions and, um, you know, kind of probably shifting Sweeney's attention to now maybe feeling like this is the area that he, that he does have to upgrade. Or at least an area that he does have to upgrade. Um, yeah, it, well, and, and the DeBrus conversation, I only like barely touched on him, but that's going to be an interesting one to have because, man, it, like if he goes into another prolonged slump now, like if that's what we're seeing the start of, and, and six games without a point is already, you know, uh, too long of a slump for the guy who should be a top six forward. He's still not signed. He's still a pending free agent. Like that conversation is going to come back. You know, we, every, we all felt better about him when he got hot after Christmas and it would be a really bad time for him to, to go cold again. Yeah. I mean, it does change the deadline if you're thinking, okay, well, a combination of a few things. Okay. Uh, you're Don Sweeney and you're like, all right, conversations haven't heated up. Like we're not close to a deal. We don't know if he's 100% wanting to extend with us. And he's also maybe not performing to top six standards. Then you might see a move for, you know, DeBrusque and probably something else for a legitimate top six forward. That would be the, the situation where, where, and I think the only situation where you see like a big move made by the Bruins. I don't know about you guys, but... I like the idea of adding Noah Hannafin, but I've kind of convinced myself that's not going to happen and that the Bruins just don't have the ability to do something like that this year. So when I think about what the trade deadline is going to look like, I think about adding someone like a Middleton who we've talked about uh, as like a, you know, a bottom pair defenseman or a middle pair defenseman. And then like a fourth line guy, I think is what we're most likely going to see. But if they decide DeBrusque, you know, we, we're we're trying to upgrade his position and we're worried that he's not going to sign. We're going to lose him for nothing and, you know, see what value they could get out of him. That's where I see maybe the potential to add a flashier name. Yeah, I mean, the longer this season goes, the more I don't I don't think they need a Hannafin because I think they have enough high end talent on the blue line. And especially if you were to bring up Lori again, and I know he's still a working process, um, but but he has that high-end ability, especially in transition. And 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 believe me, Noah Hannafin would be a phenomenal add to the to the blue line. 
but Noah Hannafin is not solving the the toughness and the hard-nosed, tough to play against, tough to get ice around the front of your net and in the corners role that a third-line D-man would do, That which is what they need, Bridget, to your point, Jacob Middleton. Here's the other problem. There's probably a lot of contenders that are going to circle Jacob Middleton's name in Minnesota. So it's not even a guarantee the Bruins get him. They're going to have to outbid other contenders for him most likely. What, are the, what can the Bruins offer Minnesota that other teams can't? I honestly don't know. Um, so that's not going to be an easy feat for them, but I do agree with you. On the blue line, that's where you need the help because Hannafin doesn't solve the 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 need of the third D pair, which is what I believe they, they need on the back end. And he certainly doesn't fix their, their middle six, um, bottom six issues at forward. Uh, no, and, you don't and, think they could plug them in at forward? Just well, maybe they there on the third line. I bet you, I bet you he would score more than some of the guys they have out there, but yeah, I mean, look, uh, it, it's a tale as old as time with DeBrusque and the inconsistent scoring. Um, there's no other way to put it. I, I've said this in the past, and all the Jake DeBrusque defenders, I understand why you defend him, and, and I'm not here to to rant on your parade. All I'm saying is, and I think we can all agree with this. If the Bruins want to get to where they want to go to, he has to produce at a, at a, at a at a decent to high level. And that's just the reality of, of, of the situation because, you know, fine. Uh, oh, he helps them win in other ways. Okay. Well, seven game playoff series, he's going to have to score t- to really help them. And then he's not alone. Scott, you mentioned it. Frederick and geeky and, and, and others in the middle six have, have not carried their weight. I, I, I don't know about you guys. No disrespect to Oscar Steen. I don't need to see him in a Bruins Jersey ever again. <laughs> I'm not, that might sound harsh, what what does he do? Honestly, what does he do? Seriously. And and meanwhile, you guys put out a poll on the skate podcast. I was yeah, I was just gonna bring account. this up. There, there, there are players in Providence, and you might say a Lysel or a Merkulov is not a fourth line fit. Fine. But some of our commenters mentioned other names that 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 could fit those mold if 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 they call some different Providence. So Bridget, if you want to read off the the Twitter poll and what the results may have been. And I don't mean to bombard you there, but there's, yeah. there's options internally and you better figure it out before the deadline. Cause I, like I said last week, you have to know what your options are internally before you go external. Yeah. And, and that's our main point is not that any of these guys should be on the Bruins during the playoffs, but like it's to evaluate to see if they could help you if you needed them to, whether that be because you're, you're down a man or you're, you know um, whatever you might need them to do. You should get a look at them before the trade deadline. And so the the poll that we put out said, which Bruins player would you most like to see called up for a chance before the trade deadline? And I listed the options as Lysel, Merkeloff, Beecher, and other leave a comment. We did get quite a few comments, but um, the top answer was Fabian Lysel with 50%. And um, that one's interesting because when we talk about – Richard not being an answer on the third line and not maybe Lysel could fit in on the third line. Like we talked about, he's not a fourth line guy, but they have a hole on the third line right now. Uh, that's not, not filled currently. Uh, and they're still looking for options there. So um, I like that as an option for the third line. Merkeloff only got 16%. Beecher got 31%. And then other had 2%. And then they, they filled in some of the other names and I'll read them for you. So the first comment was Trevor Kuntar. Um, which is interesting because he's someone we don't talk about a lot, but he, his game has been picking up in, in Providence 
And he can be a, a physical hard-nosed player at times. Yeah, I, I like the way Trevor Kuntar plays. I don't think he's NHL ready yet. Um, you know, 13 points and in, in 47 games in the AHL, like that's again, even in a fourth line role, you you do need some offense. Like that's part of the problem we're talking about is none of these fourth liners are putting up any points for the Bruins. That's part of the reason why Johnny Beecher got sent down. He was doing some things well. There was no offense that he was bringing to the table. So um, he is an agitator though, which is something that I feel like some of the other fourth line guys aren't doing at all. I feel like, okay. If, if, like what you just mentioned with Steen, like, is he not an upgrade over Steen? Like, is that not? I mean, he might be. I guess we, we like, we really have no idea. And obviously, cause we just haven't seen Kuntar at this level. Um, you know, I meant, I meant Beecher, like, why, oh, like, Beecher. Yeah, at this point, like, yeah, I understand. I, if if the playoffs were starting today, I would rather have Beecher on the team than Steen. I also understand why Beecher got sent down because he is a younger player, and there was still developing he needed to do. Um, I would like for Beecher to be ready to get called back up sometime soon. Um, you know, I guess that that's going to come down to the Bruins' own evaluations of what he's doing in Providence and whether he's taken the the strides that they wanted to see him take. Um, but yeah, Beecher, Beecher could certainly end up as the help on the fourth line. I still think you need a, a little more pop. Look, you, you either do one of two things, either you move Danton Heinen up to the third line. And I think that solves that issue. And then you try to figure out the fourth line and, and maybe you go get that veteran who helps bring some identity to it. Or if you, if you like the idea of Danton Heinen on the fourth line, because he can give that line some pop, which I think clearly Jim Montgomery does like that idea because he's trying everyone else and their mother on the third line and keeping Heinen on the fourth. Um, then you do have to try to find that guy who can fit on the third line. That's where I would like to see Fabian myself get a look. I, I don't, I don't know if he's ready. I don't know if he's going to be able to run with that job. He's, you know, he got hot in Providence and then he just uh, had a scoreless weekend before that he had eight points in five games, um, you know, so it's still a little bit up and down with him, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's as good of an option as, as anything else that they have. I think um, I still feel like it might have to come externally, but before you get there, to me, yeah, you might as well give Fabian Lysel a look. Like I, again, I like Anthony Richard's hustle. You know, kid tries hard, but he's not sticking on a third line in the NHL. At least, I don't think so. I'd be pretty shocked. Um, so you might as well see what else you have. Yeah, and then some some names I wasn't expecting to get. So I'll I'll read this, and this name came up twice. Um, Brazo, that. Was two two different people said they want to see Brazo. Uh, he's big and they they need the size. Yeah, um, and he's his offensive game has taken a little bit of a step this year. Thirty six points in forty eight games. He's been on the line with Georgie Merkulov a lot. Uh, the complication there is you would actually have to sign him to an NHL contract. He is on an AHL only deal right now. Um, 
and you're you are limited like how many NHL contracts you can have people sign to. So the Bruins might have to figure something out there, or you know, decide if that's worth um, worth that chance and worth making that move to sign him. And then we had two uh, write-ins for Brandon Bussey. <laughs> uh, they want to see what Brandon Bussey can do in net, give him a chance in net before the trade deadline. Uh, so we weren't really talking about goaltending because that's a, that's a position that the Bruins do not lack in. Yeah. What, but, are, what are we doing? Why, why are we doing that? But, but I, I understand like when people saw Brendan Bussey play in the preseason, he was entertaining and, and, you know, just like with us, we, sometimes we just want to see what the prospect looks like. Like we're curious. We just want to see who, you know, who do we got here coming up? So, um, I understand the temptation to want to see Bussy, but I think that uh, if you see Brendan Bussy at any point the rest of the season, you're in a bad situation because that means somebody got hurt, um, and that would not that would not bode well for your playoff chances. So, uh, thoughts on the Brendan Bussy call up idea? I mean, how 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 would that even work if 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 the goaltenders are both healthy and on the roster? How does yeah. it even can even do that? Can you even carry through goalies? I mean, technically you could, but yeah, it doesn't doesn't make any sense. The, the Bruins have had chances to take a look at Brandon Bussey this year. Yeah, they, they have. haven't. Like, yeah, uh, when Allmark, Allmark missed missed a few games, Swayman missed a couple early in the season, and they, yeah, it's they've made it abundantly clear that that they they don't plan on playing Brandon Bussey this year. No, yeah. no, yeah, no disrespect to those commenters, and um, it, personally, it's 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 not it's not high on my my priority list of, of call ups. I mean. Yeah, I, I think well, – what's, what's the Bruins' plan? What's their plan here? Like, are, are they just going to roll out Oscar Steen and Loco and, and, and Maurice uh, Rocket Richard there? Like, like what, what's, what's going on here? Are they just going to roll the dice with these guys and then maybe see at the deadline if somebody drops them? Like, why is it that they're so reluctant to give their higher-end prospects NHL time? Nobody's – trust me when I say – Calling up Lysel for a couple of games and him maybe not being ready is not going to hurt his confidence. It's not going to hurt his development. Well, like just bring him up for a couple of games, see if he can spark you. Maybe he's, maybe he's, and again, it's on the player to be a be a professional. Maybe he's bored in Providence. Scott, to your point, maybe he's seen everybody around him that seems to be his peer or lesser than, um, getting call up opportunities, and it's like. Maybe he's just over it. Maybe he's like, I want to, I want to get a chance to go. Like, and I know you, that's not going to get you called up, but it's like, that's that that's the reality of, of 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 human psychology. Maybe he's just like, what else? Like, I don't know. Uh, I'm 21 years old. I'm, I'm I'm your top prospect, and I'm sitting here, you know, um, going to Dave and Buster's on Wednesdays and, and having Providence games on Fridays. Like, he's probably just bored. And and, and uh, again, that's that's probably a. I don't know. There's nothing about David Buster's that's boring, Brian. So well, that's the most exciting part of his trip in Providence, probably, <laughs> is the David Buster's. Um, but again, if, if not for again, this is not even so much for just for for Lysel, like for the Boston Bruins organization. Like, see what you have in this asset. You drafted him in the first round two years ago, or three years ago at this point, whatever it's been, and and he has produced, and maybe. Other teams want us like if maybe he's a part of a trade package at some point down. Like nobody knows what this kid can do at the NHL level. And that includes the team that drafted him. And again, it would be one thing if it was a repeat of last year where your your team is like just filthy and, and there's no room for him. There's room for him. 
is Anthony Richard, is he, is he a finished product? Is he ready for this NHL opportunity? No, he's been an NHL, an NHL journeyman for a reason. It's no disrespect, but it's like nobody that you're calling up from Providence is a finished product because they're, that's why they're in Providence. Like you have to, to Bridget's point that she made months ago. And I, I, I echoed her sentiment. Like there comes a point in time where you, your development can't grow until you get to that next level. And that's just how I feel about it. And, and, and somebody give me a good reason why Lysel is not getting an opportunity to be called up right now before the deadline and the team's not playing great and they have holes in the middle at bottom six. It, it's like it perfectly aligns for a call-up. What's what's the problem? Yeah, and that's why we've talked about it, like, I don't know, in each of the last several episodes. It's come up because uh, ever since they had that, that dud uh, out of the All-Star break, and then they had a, uh, another dud last game, uh, not last game, but two games ago. It was like, okay, well, something's not working. And and maybe, you know, it, it makes us go to who do we, who, who do we call up or who do we add at the deadline? So, um, Scott, did you have any other thoughts? Our last comment said all of the above. Uh, so, uh, Merkulov, Lysel, and Beecher. I mean, Scott, Scott, before you, before you, you go here, like I'm going to throw it to you. Like they say, they say the hardest part of playing in the NHL is not getting there. It's staying there. Why are the Bruins making it so hard for him to even get there? Cause that's all we're saying. We're just saying, let him get a chance. And it's up to him what he makes of that opportunity. If he sucks and they send it back down, good. He sucked, but he needs an opportunity, right? Yeah. I mean, I do think there's an, there's definitely an element of like, you need to earn it too. And I think when you go back to some of the critical comments Ryan Mujanel was making early this year, and then stuff that we could see, like the very next game after that, he did the same thing, trying to go one on four. Like, yeah, Fabian Lysel had to buy in and, and earn that. But by all accounts, he, he's, he has turned the page at least somewhat and has made improvements and his play and production has picked up. Um, I don't know if like, I guess it depends on your standard, whether or not he's quote unquote earned a promotion. Like I thought Georgie Merkulov clearly earned it. Right. When he got called up, like that was a guy who was dominating the league. Like he was for about a month stretch. there the best player in the AHL. I don't think Fabian Lysel's done that, but the Bruins are also in a position where like they have openings that I don't know that guys necessarily need to quote unquote earn like I, I don't think they need someone to be the best player in the AHL for a month and before they give him a shot like as as we've said there's there's just this openings here there's guys on your roster who aren't running with jobs who aren't earning their keep as everyday players so um yeah and you might as well give him a shot like it it's almost like Montgomery is like I don't think this is what Montgomery is doing but when you see like him keeping high on the fourth line, it's it's almost like a message to Don Sweeney of like, hey, hey Don, wouldn't wouldn't this be a really nice spot in the lineup for a third liner? Like, isn't this kind of a hole? And you know, like you try Anthony Richard there, okay, got gave him ten minutes. That's that's not nothing. He had zero shot attempts, two hits. Okay, that's that's fine. There's a little bit of energy, but like that line got, got caved in. They didn't really create any chances. And again, that's not all Anthony Richard's fault. I thought Morgan Geeky had a tough game. Um, 
but yeah, it's you gotta try something. Like, I, and if you send Anthony Richard back down or, or you put Oscar Steen through waivers, like, so be it. You know, I don't, I don't think either one of those guys has like any right to be upset that they're not getting like a longer lug. I mean, Oscar Steen's been here all year, so 10 points. There's 10 points collectively all year between Lauco, Steen, and Boquist. 10 points, 90 combined games played. If you want to add in Richard, it's still 10 points in 92 games, but I'm not going to, he's had two games. But the other three guys I, I, I mentioned because those three guys have had significant opportunities. 10 points in 90 games played. Um, like Scott, to your point, like, yes, Georgie Merkulov was the best player in the, in the AHL for, for about a month. That's, I just want to clarify. And I, I, I know you weren't saying this, but being the best player in the AHL for a stretch of time is not the prereq to getting a, to getting an NHL call up. Like, and that was just like one example where it was clear, but that's not what's, what's necessary, what's required, required of a all AHL call-ups. And <clears throat> To your point, like those numbers I just said, those guys, what have they done to earn to earn their spot? What have they done? Certainly offensively, nothing. Is is Steen and and uh is Steen and and, and Boquist, are they out there like finishing every single ch- actually Oscar Steen might have decent statistics as far as checking goes. I don't I don't hate Steen. He's he, he tries and Boquist they try, but they don't affect the game nearly enough outside of the score sheet to maintain their spots. And that's just the reality. I don't dislike them. I'm not saying they're not trying, but they're maybe they're just not good enough. Maybe, maybe Oscar Steen and his smaller stature, maybe his energizer bunny style of play. It just doesn't translate at the NHL level. He's too small. He's not effective enough. And Boquist is looks more like a ballerina out there more, more times than he does a hockey player with his, very, very smooth, elegant skating. But what is he doing outside of that? Not much. So um, it's a combination of all these things. Like some of these guys in, in Providence, like, yeah, they might not be the best player in, in the AHL right now, but but they're helping their team win. Um, they're producing. There's opportunities to be had in the NHL level. Um, to me, it's, a, it's an absolute blunder. It's an absolute mismanagement of your assets. If they approach this deadline, which, as you said last week, Scott, is very, very closely approaching. It's less than a month away, I believe. And you're just going to not see what you have in the system. Because why? Because Oscar Steen is here and because Lauko and, and Boquist. And, and and I'm so sick and tired of hearing, like, oh, there's different cap implications to it. Figure it out. I don't know. Figure it out. Get rid of a guy. Like, buy him out. I don't care. But, like, they got to do something because well, it, it's too stale. I mean, cap-wise, they – all they have to do is put Matt Potter on long-term IR, which I'm sure they will at some point. They they haven't yet because they haven't had to. But like, there's an easy move to clear the cap space to call one of those guys up because they're all under they're all under a million dollars. So like that wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, it's just it's. I mean, there there was a stretch of time about a month ago. Again, right before the All Star break, I kind of like that look of of um, Boquist and. Heinen, I think it was, and maybe Potter. Like it was, it was a different look. But since then, uh, Boquist has done literally nothing. Potter is out for the season, and Heinen, he's just. It, it depends where they want to use him. Um, 
yeah, it's there. There's there's no reason why why personnel decisions aren't being made right now. Um, it's it's complacent and it's and it's it's quite frankly it's annoying because as fans, I don't know why our desire to see what they have in the system is greater than the team's desire. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I'll I'll at least give Bogus this. Like he's at least been a plus player at five on five. Um, he's actually he's a plus six at five on five and positive expected goals, positive shot differential. Lauko and Steen have been here all year. They're both a minus two. Badly outshot when they're on the ice. You know, bad expected goal percentage. And it's not like they're a fourth line that's getting tough matchups, like handling opponents top six or something, playing like a shutdown role. They're, they're for the most part, they're getting other bottom six matchups. And the Bruins have still ended up, you know, like more often than not, probably just breaking even and on the whole, slightly in the negative for the season. Yeah, I, yeah. I just don't know. Yeah. Sorry, Bridget. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, I, I, to talk about like, not the call up part of this, but the actual like lineup shakeup that they, that they did do um, to move Van Riemsdyk with geeky and, and Richard, like, there was nothing going with that line last game. And, and it, Scott noted, I mean, I was, I sit next to Scott at all the games and, and he leaned over and he was like, this is a rough game for Morgan geeky, like one of his worst. And I, I've not thought that geeky has had a bad season since coming to Boston, but uh, he, he just like, couldn't handle pucks. And I don't know, it kind of seemed like a mental thing. Like I, I'm not sure where it would have come from, but, um, and then you have to, elevate Frederick to the second line in, in that situation um, off of the third line, which we mentioned Frederick has been earlier in the season before the all-star break had been playing. Like he could be a top six guy, but hasn't been. And I think it's because, all right, think about who he's with on the second line last game. It's him, Saka and DeBrusque. And they seem to all kind of be down at the same time and not, not able to have one of them, lift the other ones up so uh, do you guys like so do you guys think that that line played poorly because i i actually thought they created quite a few chances and just like running through frederick had four shots on goal zaka had eight shot attempts debrusque had seven shot attempts like i actually thought they had some chances maybe they didn't do you know enough to bear down and, and bury them but I I didn't hate that line, honestly. Like, I don't know if it lasts long-term as your second line. And, yes, Jake DeBrusque has to start scoring, and so does Frederick. Um, those guys are, are at points in their careers where, you know, okay, you can do the right things, but ultimately, like, the Bruins need you to score. So I, I get that aspect of it. But, like, I actually did think they played pretty well against Tampa, and I guess on my – my list of complaints from that game, like just in this one game, that line would be pretty low on the list for me. Yeah. The problem is like when I look, when I think back on like the better chances of the game and I think did, did anyone on that line have them not come on the power play like five on five? I feel like Trent Frederick is the only one that really had a decent scoring chance of, of those three um, from my recollection. And uh, I don't, I wouldn't say I hated it, but I just don't think it 
it's not the solution, right? Like that, that's not, I don't think that's. I think, I think in theory, it could be a good line, right? If those guys are all playing to their potential, which is a big if with these players in particular, because they're all very streaky. I mean, Frederick's been good, I think, for the most part all year. And and Zaka has been too. But let me ask you guys this. Has Zaka, from a production standpoint, been getting kind of a free pass from us here at the Skate Pod so far? Um, maybe not so much earlier in the year, but it does seem as, as the games go on, um, you know, being six on the team and scoring um, 33 points in 49 games, obviously it's, it's, it's definitely – good but considering the role that they're asking him to play and that charlie coils you know got 12 points more than him um i just you know we we, we i could i want to be consistent player to player like, like i talk about jake debrusque a lot because not in recent weeks i haven't probably harped on him in probably a month and a half but he's somebody who we have high expectations for because he is capable of scoring at a good clip at the NHL level. And when he doesn't, it needs to be talked about. Pavel Zaka, to me, falls in that category, too. Um, I think, for the most part, his, his, his points per game has been good this year, but I do think it's been dropping off in recent weeks, and it's starting to become noticeable now, where you know he has – Jake DeBrusque has 25 points in 51 games, and Zaka has 33 and 49. Um what do you guys think about Zaka's production? I, I think it needs to be better. I'm looking around at the Atlantic Division. This is something I wanted to talk about as we got later into the podcast. But right now in the NHL, there's five teams from the, from the Atlantic Division that all, if the playoffs started today, would be in a playoff series. The Bruins are atop that list. All right. So, you know, in the standings, the Bruins are the quote unquote best team of the bunch. As we all know, that doesn't really mean shit. But you have Florida, Tampa, in a division right behind Boston and then you have Toronto and Detroit and I'll be honest with you any one of those teams could beat Boston in a playoff series and they would beat Boston in a playoff series if players like DeBrusque and Zaka don't score along with the other big guys um roundabout wave me asking you guys Zaka getting a pass and, and obviously those two guys need to get going yeah I mean I would note on Zaka like he did just have a four game point streak um, wrapped around the all-star break six points in four games now some of that came that he was reunited with Pasternak for part of that stretch so that certainly helps um yeah if Pasternak's going to be on the loaded up on the top line with Coyle and Marshand then Zaka still needs to produce in a second line role and that's where you know if Debrusca's on one wing and whether it's Frederick or Van Riemsdyk on the other like you also expect those guys to to help drive that line. Um, so it, it could be more like, I think he had Zaka had gone quiet offensively for a little bit before that, but I'm not going to completely turn after two games without a point now, given that he did just have a point streak and did seem to be turning a corner in terms of production. Um, and I just went through my notes on those guys just because sometimes I've, you know, forget specific plays too, but in terms of quality scoring chances, I have Trent Frederick, two, two chances from the slot. This is all five on five. One of those came off a steal by DeBrusque. Um, DeBrusque and Zaka both had tips right at the net front that Vasilevsky just out of sheer reaction or luck made a save on. So 
Those to me are, are quality chances. Uh, Zaka set up McAvoy for a one-timer from the slot uh, that Vasilevsky saved. So there were some, some real quality chances there um, in addition to just the shot totals. So I kind of, I kind of come back to like one of those goes in and we're talking about a different game. We're talking about how they scored one of the goals in a three, two comeback win. And I get it. They, they didn't go in. So that didn't happen. But um, I, I think if you create chances like that, most games that you're not facing Andre Vasilevsky, at least one of those is going in. Want to know what I think adds to what Brian was saying about Zaka though. And this relates to your opening shift, Scott. And I think we should talk about this now. On the power play, I think that he is someone that hasn't been effective. Um, and, and the power play in general has been down. But Zaka usually centering that top unit. And I've talked to you during the games, Scott, about how I like Charlie Coyle better in that role. And he only got one look on their six power plays with that top unit. It was Zaka out there the rest of the time, you know, with getting a majority of the time with the better players um, on the Bruins power play. And I think that that when he has the space and uh, the ability to, to be on the man advantage, he's not really taking, he's not taking advantage of it. Um, You'd like to see him get more power play points and, and be more involved. And I really think that coil brings more to the top power play unit. I, I know Scott, you had looked into the stats of it, um, but that was a few games ago, so obviously it's changed. But uh, I think that there's pros and cons to having both of those guys in on the top unit. But I, I personally think Coyle could help with some of the issues they've been having on the power play. Yeah, I agree. Scott, do you have a follow-up on that? I think realist, the realistic answer is neither one of them is really an elite power play bumper guy like Bergeron was for so many years. Um, so you're, you're trying to, you're trying to figure out who fits best and they've gone back and forth. Um, it, I, I think there, there are things that each of them brings that maybe the other doesn't like when coils there, it opens up that play from, you know, where Van Riemsdyk gets it on the doorstep where he's usually on the right side because he's a left-handed shot. So he's holding the puck out away from the goalie. That one-timer out to the bumper is now an option because Coyle's a right shot. With Zaka, that's not an option. So that's an upside that Coyle brings, and I think he's done a better job this year of finishing some of those chances uh, from in close. What I, I think, think Coyle Zaka... Goes, Coyle also goes to the net a little bit more strongly and more often than Zaka does to crash on like rebounds. And also this is important possession during the power play uh, obviously leads to more chances and he is really great with possession. He doesn't turn the puck over a whole lot. He wins battles uh, uh, on the boards. Like he's, he's a guy you, it's really hard to take the puck away from uh, and to force him to turn it over in, in any capacity. So I think that that's also a big asset that he brings to the power play. Yeah. I think, I think the things that, that Zaka does better just to provide the counterbalance is that I think he moves around that bumper spot better and gets open and gives his teammates more options to pass into him and then quickly move it back out somewhere. Like at, at, when, when that unit is clicking, 
I feel like I noticed Zaka's movement being a pretty key part of it. Um, but he's probably not as much of, or at least hasn't been with the way that their power play operates as much of a direct scoring threat as I think Coyle can be. Can I ask you guys a question? This is um, non power play related, but it's, you know, it, it all, it all kind of is, is intertwined, but how would you describe the Bruins uh, offensively? Would you describe them as a, as a one line team, a two line team, a four line, because, you know, we talked about extensively for about 15 minutes, how there's a lack of scoring. Um, certainly with, you know, guys in the bottom six, like Lauko and Steen, I mean, literally offensively anemic Boquist. Um, you do have some production from some third line guys, primarily in third line roles this year with, with geeky and Heinen and Frederick with, that you can live with. But, you know, I'm reluctant to call them like a top heavy two line team because like we just talked about Zaka and DeBrusque, and some of this does get produced on the power play, right? As you guys were talking, but Zaka and DeBrusque, like I, I don't look at this Bruins team and be like, oh yeah, they got, they got their top six is, is good. It's just the bottom six is, is kind of floundering a little bit offensively. Like I don't think the Bruins bottom six, specifically that fourth line, but even the third line at times, they don't score enough for the Bruins second line to coinciding or, or co- coincidentally not score as well. Like the first line, th- those top three guys, Pashnak, Martian, Coyle, Pashnak's obvious. Coyle and Martian, they've done, they've carried their weight and then some in the scoring department. Um, JVR is doing well too, but yeah, I just feel like that second line, they don't have the luxury of, of depth like last year's Bruins team to take not just nights off, weeks off. Scott, I know you mentioned Zaka had a you know four four game point streak in there, but again, this is kind of why DeBrusque's name is so polarizing and Zaka too. Like you need you need you can't have a top six and not have half of them scoring consistently enough. Um, it does make me worry. It does make me worry long term in the playoffs against these teams that do boast legitimate top six depth scoring and also scoring up and down their lineup too um the bruins bottom six does not score enough for the second for these 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 other top six players in debrusque and zaka to to not be producing at a higher clip i do think the power play is a part of this debrusque has not been a integral part of you know the power play obviously this year so maybe that's hurting him too but um how would you guys how do you guys describe this bruins uh forward uh grouping i know in the standings and in the the statistics i think they're probably a top 10 team offensively in the league league wide but i don't know that's why this team's difficult to judge sometimes because the analytics do say that they are these things but it just appears like it's like pulling teeth to get to that yeah i i was gonna say as a counterbalance like not not even just the analytics but just pure goals scored like this is a top 10 offense on the season and they're still number two in scoring since Christmas. Um, you know, I think it, it's easy to lose sight of that when it's gone, you know, a little quiet over the last week. Um, I, I would say the analytics would actually back up the case that they might be overperforming a little because their their expected goals, their scoring chances aren't as high. Um, so, yeah, I guess I would describe them as a team with – I would say two elite offensive players in Pasternak and Marchand, obviously not quite to that level, but still very high end and a solid top six at times, a solid third line. Like there's been 
they they've had depth at times, and that's why I don't want to like totally freak out about all these guys going quiet at once. I get it's a bad time for it to happen, but we've also seen stretches this year where they've had three lines rolling. I'm not sure they've ever really had all four going, maybe for a couple games here and there, but there there've definitely been stretches where they've had three good lines going. Um and that's with the you know, I guess you could throw Padre in and say he was there and, and was certainly part of it. Um but essentially with the same personnel they have now. So um but yeah, they they have to work. They have to work for their goals. Like it's not going to be like last year where there's just enough talent that they can just simply make better plays than, than the other team and score off the rush. Like they they got to grind for the, for their offense this year at least in order to be a high-end offensive team and over the course of 82 games it, it's hard to keep that up and sometimes you're going to end up with a couple duds like they've had post All-Star break and I'm not trying to excuse that. I'm just saying like that's the reality. When you have to work for your goals and it doesn't come easy like it did for them last year, there's going to be nights where guys just don't work for it for whatever reason, whether they're tired, mentally exhausted, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, like I'll come back to like, I think they need, I think they could definitely use another third liner with some pop at the very least. If, there's some sort of deal that makes sense for a top six guy. Awesome. Like uh, count me in. I am very skeptical that that deal is going to be out there, but um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's kind of where, how I feel right now. And just to give a quick answer to you, Brian, uh, about your original question, I know you're near as often this year as last year. Have they been a full like three line or like four line team? Mm. Like last year's third line, was a second line on most teams like Taylor Hall was on that line um and that line scored and it was never a question of oh can the third line do enough like it it was always a strength of them that they had those first three lines and an offense existed on all of them whereas when we're looking at the third line from last night and it's JVR geeky Richard who I don't think I would have had any idea who it was if you told me in the offseason that was going to be a line combination for the Bruins here a month before the trade deadline I would have been like what um so definitely not the same uh third line that they had last year because uh that included Charlie Coyle and Taylor Hall so um you see that the depth was was much stronger last year and we knew that coming into the season it wasn't going to be that may never Mm ever be that uh, again, you know, it, it's, it was just such an amazing team they had on paper and um, what they did last year. So, uh, but I, there's one last thing cause we're running out of time a little bit that I wanted to talk about. And it was the way that the, the defense was involved in the offense yesterday. Charlie McAvoy scored a really nice uh, point on a nice point shot. Carlo was firing shots. Um, and Montgomery was asked after the game, it, was that a point of emphasis? And he said, that's always a, a point of emphasis, but I think that we're going to start seeing more of that there. So basically what they're doing is they're going low to high. Um, and Montgomery said that that is more effective than going D to D at the blue line. He'd rather see it go come from like closer to the goal line back up to the point. And that's really where you were seeing those opportunities come from McAvoy and Carlo were the two I noticed most, but um, other defensemen too. 
Yeah, they're definitely involved. I mean, McAvoy's McAvoy was uh, involved right before his goal, um, getting the shot through, causing uh, havoc down low for Tampa. Obviously, puck retrieval from from I think it was Marchand and and maybe Pashnak helping him out was was critical. So yeah, I mean, there the, the problem that I see and it's sometimes I feel like. The Bruins, and it's not just the Bruins this year. It's the way the NHL is going. You want your defense to get involved, and I understand it, and 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 I agree with it. But I don't know. I, I find that sometimes it just it, it's it sends it, it enables inconsistency in positioning because it's now up to the defenseman to know when to go, when not to go, and it takes communication with your D partner, and it's 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 depending on game situation, what's a score, what period, what time, where you, is it a long change? All these things come into play. And yeah, like, like there's moments where you, you see it and it's like, Oh, that, that helped jumpstart a, a good four check four checking shift or a good scoring chance. And then there's other times where it just seems like they, it gets them out of position. And, and I, and it, and I don't know if it's a lack of focus. I mean, one of the other things I know we've spent a lot of time talking about the offense, but, and, and some of their struggles, but last night in particular, and certainly in this, in this home stretch, like the team hasn't been very sharp mentally. I mean, giving up a lot of chances on, on the power play. I mean, Tampa had like two or three or four golden chances to score shorthanded yesterday. Like just, um, I don't know. I, I just feel like it, there's a lot of sloppiness and a lot of, and a lot of mental fatigue or just, I don't know what it is. And I, and I'm not sure if, this new age NHL of like just go play pond hockey at times just confuses matters when you're out there because it's such a fast game and I don't know I know I'm kind of like all over the map here but it's it's I I I I think it's smart because it helps jumpstart your offense but it just seems like it, it enables chaos at times if it's not done properly. Well, and and the Bruins clearly are like the. The defense gets involved when they have enough possession for them to do it. I think I said this before, but like they don't have the Kel McCarr or Quinn Hughes who can really drive the offense from the back end. You know, McAvoy and Lindholm can do it a little bit at times, but they're not those guys offensively. Like when when the Bruins are out possessing teams and like actually connecting in the offensive zone that's when they can get their defensemen involved. And that's what you saw last night. It's why, you know, despite losing in the shootout, like overall, I'd be pretty encouraged. And Bridget, you said it in your, your opening shift. Like it was a good bounce back for them. Five on five, they out attempted the lightning 55 to 36 high danger chances were 12 to five for the Bruins. They, they played well. The power play let them down. Allmark gave up a, a soft goal and like, that kind of ends up being the difference. You know, if that game was played at all at five and five, the Bruins probably win. So um, one last point I was just going to make on the offensive depth thing, just because sometimes, you know, I think we're all guilty of it. Definitely fans are guilty of it. We get tunnel vision on the Bruins and, and we pick apart everything here. I would just point out, like, I think pretty much every contender is probably saying, I don't feel like we're deep enough offensively. Um, like just, Looking at Tampa last night, Brandon Hagel on their second line has been great. Nick Paul, 29 points. Anthony Sorelli, 29. Like that's, you know, that's basically in line with Trent Frederick, Jake DeBrus type numbers. Like, so they're, they're kind of getting the same thing. Tampa really doesn't have a third line either. Like 
Mikey Asimov, 15 points. Tanner Janot, 12. Connor Sheary, 9. Like, these are guys who hey. are playing on the third line. Hey, no, no ragging on Connor Sheary, all right? That's a rule on this podcast. Guys, guys got one goal this year. <laughs> okay, well, well, that's okay. You went to rough. UMass. It's okay. You went to UMass. <laughs> how many, I saw how that many, Frankie Vitrano is available potentially at the trade deadline. Anyone in on Frankie V? So, so I... I yeah, I would be. I would like Toronto. Um, yeah, the, the the what chaos crew. I think they're trying to trade for him. Um, <laughs> I mean, so how many goals does, does Sheary have this year? Uh, he has one goal in thirty six games. One. Oh, so but it sounds like it's one more than BU had in overtime on Monday night in New England. Uh, I'm sorry about <laughs> that, Scott. <laughs> Did you think we weren't going to get there? Uh, I'm just kidding. But, but well, I'm not kidding. It's actually true, but. Um, no, it's it's a it's a it's a good point you raised, Scott. Um, certainly, we are we are tunnel vision on this podcast. We're talking, you know, three times a week on on things Bruins. And look, obviously, objectively, the Bruins are having a great season. Uh, this is a, this is a year that was supposed to be, you know, bubble playoffs at best, according to many. Transition year, according to many, and and you know they're all year have been atop the standings. Has it been pretty the entire way? No, but to your point, it hasn't been pretty for most teams. Um, and I just think that, you know, a lot of it's just creating talking points, obviously for us three times a week and, and, you know, kind of picking at the bone when we don't really need to. Um, it's just, it's just kind of like, we kind of know at least because we've watched this group for so long and obviously it's changed over the years, but we watch this team. We kind of know, we know when they're clicking, when they're not. We know what their Achilles heels are, and 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 how they're how how they can play on their toes. And um, we just know that, like straight up, like if certain guys aren't producing in the playoffs, chances are this team isn't gonna um, get to where they want to go. And guess what? Thirty-one teams don't end up doing that anyway. But um, but you're right though. This team, compared to the rest of the league, which is how we have to compare them. Um, they are they are they are they are well off. Um, they have they have their flaws personnel wise, but everybody does to your point. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a good reminder um, for sure. And, and yes, like weeks like this where they're struggling despite playing well last night in, in defeat, like it's easy to to kind of harp on some of these 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 shortcomings. But it's not it's not the whole the story the whole story. I I didn't really expect like I. I was not coming into this podcast expecting to be like the the optimist. The, yeah, the the optimist, the the sunny side up, but sort of sort of evolved that way. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I've only maybe I've only talked myself into feeling good, but like I, I think I feel better about the Bruins than I did an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's Valentine's Day, Scott. Love is in the air, and he's just spreading go. the yeah. love. He's well, just reminding everybody why they should be grateful and thankful. Well, again, not 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 to harp on uh on Monday night, Scott. But I mean, after BU let you down, the Bruins can only they can only bring you joy at that point. I mean, hey, what happened there, Scott? What happened? I'll tell you what. I'll I'll, I'll tell you one thing. The better uniform that night won. The better uniform won. No, I, I strongly disagree. I, I actually don't mm. like those Northeastern uniforms. Oh, uh, better the better than those BU two. Sir. Listen to me, BU. <laughs> Candy canes forever. No way. Those listen to me, Scott. We've talked about this in the past. Bridget, I don't know if you have that banner ready to go. Impromptu fashion segment. Thank you. Scott, you and I damn well know that 
the BU jerseys that they wear, both red and white, with the actual terrier on it that says Boston, is light years better than any of those multi-stripe jerseys they wear. In fact, the classic BU jersey, where it just it's like the Red Wings uniforms, but it says it says Bot. Those ones too are better. Those candy cane jerseys that they wear are the worst of their arsenal. Not saying that they're bad, but compared to the rest of their wardrobe, it's by far the worst. I don't know what they're thinking, especially during the bean pot. If they had those Terrier logos in the front, they would have beaten Northeastern on Monday. Mark my words. So I, I, I actually agree with you. Like the the candy canes would also be my least favorite of BU's arsenal, but they're still like a ninety three out of a hundred. Like I, 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 you may I, be a little bit biased about that. I may I be, but I, I really like them all. And also that the candy canes were the ones they were wearing their last national championship. 2009 so they are they're they're never going away i don't think yeah that's true but um yeah i mean but the the traditional bu jerseys that they wore forever um are 110 out of 100 and the bu jerseys with the actual terrier on the front are a 200 out of 100 and so now your 93 is not looking too sharp is it so that's all um, I have to say about that. My my opinion as to why they lost, and it does have to do with fashion, is because Scott didn't wear his lucky BU socks. So, is and then just, after, uh, I'm Bridget. I was an unbiased media member. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sure. He was just wearing the underwear, just so <laughs> not the socks. But uh, no, uh, Connor Ryan, another BU grad that we work with at the Bruins, that was there also. Once he found out Scott didn't wear those, said, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. Uh, so, yeah, he doesn't want to take credit for it, but it was it was his fault. Scott, what do you think of the uh, – I mean, this is oh, – this, this is a rabbit hole we can go down. There's there's a lot of – there's a lot of elite Hockey East uniforms over the years. I mean, I feel like some have changed, and, and they're not as good as they used to be. Like, I uh, – UMass Lowell – their uniforms used to be replicas of the Montreal Canadiens, except obviously it said UMass Lowell. Um, those were those were absolutely elite. Northeastern's uh, black jerseys with the Husky, and that that Husky logo is filthy. BUBC, BC's changed their changed their uh, their uniforms more than I feel like you know anything in the last like ten years. I don't even know every year it's a different uniform. Um, uh, do you guys? Do you, do you guys? Bridget, UMass, UMass is—they've upgraded their uniforms over the years. I think UMass's uniforms, UMass Amherst, that is, their uniforms in the last five to seven years are an upgrade over what they used to wear back in the day. I think, for well, sure. Do you like the? Do you like the one with the giant M on the front? It's literally just I, a big M. I don't like that because it just looks like Michigan or Minnesota, just a yeah. different color. Um, mm. Yeah, UMass has upgraded the. I know the the old tri the big triangle that used to I think people like that for nostalgia's sake, but that was that was not a good jersey. Um the the it pains me to say it. I I firmly Maine, believe, Maine, oh my god, Maine's going. uniforms I, are amazing. Did you just remember Maine? Yes, I, I, oh my I god. I firmly believe BU and whatever iteration they choose to use are number two in hockey east. Mm-hmm. I gotta give it to Maine that they're they're Maine. number one. They've been number one for a long time. And they got they the baby changed. blues. Yeah, they don't. They they have a great thing and they haven't screwed it up. So yeah, Maine, Maine's uniforms. How could I have forgotten those? I, I can't. I'm glad I remembered eventually. But what a, what a sin. Yeah, Maine. Maine and now has some of the and guess best. what? 
They're mm. probably going to get showcased in the national tournament this year because Maine is doing really, really well. So uh, they're top four or five uh, at the, the poll at the beginning of this week. So uh, mm. maybe more people will get to see those. I feel like I feel like the big four, when, like when we were growing up, and Scott, I know you're <clears throat> older, um, but no, not by much. Um, but I think our our generation, like the big four growing up was like, it was BU, BC, Maine, and UNH. Like those four, I feel like were in national contention every single year um, in like the early 2000s. Like growing up, those those are the, the, the top four hockey schools. And then UMass Lowell came on in like the 2010s. They had their days. UMass Amherst, obviously. Providence had some runs um, in, a, in Providence a national title. Won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Providence yeah. won. Yeah. But, but yeah. Pro- Providence, oddly enough, still hasn't won a Hockey East title under Nate Lehman. Like that's still the the one thing yeah. missing from from their resume. And by the way, those jerseys I don't like. I don't like the creepy fryer. And I, we have talked about this before. And I see the creepy yeah. fryer all the time because I work at Providence. I'll be there again Friday. But that guy scares the hell out of me. And the, I was gonna say, skating... isn't he? Get, isn't now the fryer your color commentator for this game? Oh my god. I'm I like I'm I'm not even joking. I'm I like mildly afraid of mascots and I, that's probably because as a kid I grew up going to PC basketball games and that guy was walking around and I was like that guy is a murderer. Like that is a murderer. Um so yeah and by the way he interrupts my interviews with players in the intermissions. He will literally sk- they've put him on skates for the hockey games. And he knows where that we interview them on the bench. So he'll come and skate right in front of them while I'm talking to them and mm. just try to steal the spotlight. And he's got to go. He's got, and I know that like that's people like, like, that's like the, how the, the Bruins goalies do that during the, uh, the Nesson interviews pregame. Yeah. They like, yeah. They just try to throw, throw everybody off um, and try to get some, some airtime on TV. But <laughs> um, I know people like the skating fryer. Cause like mm. they, it's, they they got the gave the friar a little hockey stick on the uniform, but I mean, mm. I'm sorry, friar in general doesn't give you a lot of options to do something cool. It's like, yeah, here's this priest, he's our yeah. mascot. Hockey hockey East programs. If you're listening, that you need a a uniform, a fashion upgrade uh, would be UVM, Merrimack, Providence. Um, everybody else, I feel like is in good shape if they use the right uniforms and i think that uh like i said bu and bc have like 20 jerseys they can probably choose from i don't i don't know what the official uniforms are for either team anymore but i think the best hockey uniform matchup in college hockey would be the bu with the terrier on the front white jerseys red helmets versus maine in their in their blues with the powder blue up top that's get me that for the hockey's finals holy smokes but no, no, be using to wear the candy canes or their practice jerseys or whatever they're wearing these days, and uh, <laughs> and it'll be a lackluster championship because of that. And, but anyway, and Maine will and Maine will win because and Maine will win <laughs> because the better the, uniform always wins, which is why the Bruins won't win the cup this year. <laughs> well, the, the the best part of that hockey's championship matchup is that uh, BC's not in it. That's that's true. Which is also why Scott doesn't want Trevor Kuntar to get called up and doesn't want his cousin Mark McLaughlin to get called up because they're former former Eagles. But yes, um. I know we. I know we're at a, a, an hour ten. Um, did we gloss over the Marsha and the thousand? <laughs> congrats, well, so here's the thing. We, 
Well, yes, but here's the thing. He's getting his real celebration on Monday. So this was his 1,000th game, but they're going to have a whole video tribute and everything before the game with his family. And we can definitely talk more about it then because we're going to probably hear from his former teammates. Bergeron, like you guys know because you watched it, was was there. But I'm guessing there's going to be even more people back for the actual celebration ceremony of it before uh, the game against De- Tyler Sagan will be there with the Dallas Stars. I was going to say it's it's against yeah. Dallas on Monday. So play, um, play some party footage from from 2011. <laughs> I, I think both of those guys probably hope that uh, any footage from them those years probably got deleted at some point along the way. But <laughs> yeah, we can talk more about that mi- milestone and and Marshawn um, after we record Monday. Here's, here's a random random Marshawn Bergeron question for you guys. So. They've had their fair share of uh, of line mates on their on their wing, um, Hall of Famers Mark Recchi, Yager, uh, Sagan was was obviously a good fit with them. Riley Smith was a really good fit with them. Um, obviously David Pasternak uh, and you know DeBrusque too, and, and others. But obvi- the obvious answer of who their best line mate was is David Pasternak. But is Mark Recchi like underrated because they want to stay in the cup as a line? Like is that is that combination underrated? Uh probably, but where it gets interesting is like that was legitimately like the second line on that team because you had mm. Lucic, Krejci, Horton right. as the first line. So it's it's almost like a little different ask than you know in the later years where whatever line Marshall and Bergeron was on was your top line. So you're mm. always looking for, you know, who's gonna play at the level to, to be a first liner. And, you know, obviously there were a couple different couple guys who rotated through before you finally settled on Pasternak for many years. And then, you know, when you split them up, you try, you know, DeBrusque eventually settles there, but like you had some Craig Smith at times. Um, um, Louis Erickson. Yeah. Way back one. But, and, and of course, like, Look, the it didn't end well, obviously, but that 2012-13 season, I, I know it was lockout drum, but like most of that year, Marshawn Bergeron Sagan was a really good line. And then things got kind of get thrown off. Sagan goes quiet in the stretch. They try Yager there. That doesn't really work. Like just things just never click, especially in the cup final. But um that that could have been could have been a great line, obviously. We you know. Sagan did eventually settle down and become, um, you know, a really reliable, consistent player for the stars for many years. But, you know, who knows? Who knows if that could have happened here had they hung on to him? I don't. My guess is uh, no. But I watched. So there is actually some very old episodes of Behind the Bees, uh, like on YouTube. And I happened to stumble upon like one of the very first episodes. And it it is them making the decision to trade Sagan. And you can just tell by the tone and, and the what's being said. It's it's like it's not telling you a lot, but it's telling you like they're done with him. Like they're like trying to figure out the best way to who can we get. Yeah, well, that that like th- that first those like early episodes. It was, and I remember like they got ripped for this at the time because it, it was basically just like anti Sagan PR. It was like, yeah. guys, we have to justify the trade. So like, let's get this out there with us, you know bashing them but you know like we're not going to go all in all in but like 
we, we, then, we need we need people to know that you know we were down with them or whatever. Yeah, and then they juxtapose it with them calling Horton and him saying he doesn't want to come back to the team. And actually, Louis Erickson was in one of those episodes. It might have been the same episode because it was like his first time coming to boss. I don't know. There was a lot going on in, in those like first few episodes of Behind the Bee that I randomly stumbled upon. But yeah, now I mean, we've definitely gone very far away from what this podcast was. Well, it's just funny because like that. Well, that's it. That's Sagan thing. The way they handled that, like the year between the cup appearances. So the the, the year they lost to Washington when they were defending champions, like. Sagan was the team's leading scorer that year with like 69 points or something like that. Um, and was on that Marsh and Bergeron line. So, nice. <laughs> so it's like, it's interesting that they come back for the short, the, the lockout shortened season. He's on that line and then they get Yager and yeah, like Sagan, who was like their top scorer for like the, like that prior year and a half just gets bounced to like the third line. And I know there was off ice reasons, but um, I mean, he wasn't, yeah, I mean, they, they they say if if they if Sagan gave us half of Kane, we won the cup. Well, Sagan actually didn't play terrible in the in the cup finals since he was on a line with Paye and Kelly. Um, also, Sagan's trade was huge because of the, the the return or like the lack thereof. Turns out the return was actually pretty good because Riley Smith turned out to be have a pretty points per game wise pretty comparable probably to Sagan, maybe a little bit less, but he has a Stanley Cup to his name. Um, and obviously yeah, the Bruins the, got rid of Riley Smith, and that was a right. I was gonna say the, the the real problem was they gave up on Riley Smith or thought he was expendable or you know whatever didn't couldn't fit his cap hit in. Um, you know that trade came at a time where like they were having cap issues, but yeah, ultimately like that was a really bad trade. Him him for Jimmy Hayes, um, Riley Smith and that, clearly just 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 a better player. And yeah. had much better years after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 three years after immediately after the trade, Tyler Sagan was one of the he was he was an elite forward in the in the league compared to the rest of the the landscape at the time. Um, but since then, Riley Smith has been the better player. I would say. I mean, huge part of Vegas's success in the last you know five six years, top liner, depending on how you want to look at it, and Cup winner. So. Yeah, that 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 trade to to Florida, um, not great, but and and it's yeah. it's interesting to tie this back to to Martian because I was also when and I Florida realized, let like, him go for nothing. Florida let him go in the expansion draft, right? I know <laughs> him what's, and Jonathan Marches so. though. Like, what is wrong with what's going on with these? You know, who was uh, wait? Remind me, was he the MVP of of the playoff run last year hmm, of, of, yeah. for Vegas? Hmm, weird. Um, but yeah, to swing this all always back around to Martian because I all, when I realized like you know, Sagan was going to be in the house Monday and I'm sure, you know, like he'll, he'll, him and Marshall will meet up before or after the game or whatever. Um, I, I found a, a newspaper article with Martian at training camp after the Sagan trade, like his, his first comments on the trade. And he was basically like, it's a huge wake up call. Like, you know, Sagan was a really good player at such a bright future here. And it just sort of hit me that you're going to have like a bad half a season and they'll ship you out. And, you know, he was clearly kind of like shaken by it. And I, I think, I think I wondered if like maybe part of him was like, well, could that have, could that have been me? Like if I slid down the stretch, you know, would I be the one getting shipped out type thing? So um, it was interesting to go back and read read some of that and Marshan has you know always defended Sagan they've remained 
friends since then. I remember, um, do you, I forget, it wasn't Jim Nill, but do you remember like the Stars executive who like ripped Sagan and Jamie Benn at one point? Mm. Um, because they were like two of the highest paid forwards and they were off to slow starts. And I, I think he like literally on the record said they're playing like horse shit. And, uh, and that was like a whole big thing. Like the NHL PA like released a statement on it and called on the stars to apologize. And Martian had strong comments uh, in support of Sagan at that time too. Um, but yeah, it's uh Sagan, by the way, not far from a thousand himself. Yeah. He, he'll, he'll get there. What I think early next year. Yeah, he's at nine fifty four. That makes yeah. me feel old. Well, yeah, because I was just I was just looking it up because. Um, what about Taylor Bob, Hall? He's he's had he, injury issues, so. Yeah, he's probably because of that. He's probably maybe around high eights, maybe. But yeah, I just had that number pulled up because while we were talking about this, I was like, well, Marshan and Sagan had uh, the same. You know, they were rookies at the same time. Obviously, Marshan was a little bit older, but yeah, Sagan's at nine fifty four. So yeah, he should hit that mark probably maybe next November or something like that. But yeah, Hall's uh, Hall's eight thirty two, so he's he's got a few more years. And yeah, yeah that, I mean that draft happened when I was in high school, and yeah, so that makes me feel old that Sagan's almost at a thousand games. But it doesn't take much to make me feel old these days because I am. So How, what's uh what's Marshan's point total right now? Uh, in his career, regular season wise, nine something. Because like just... the re- the reason I ask is because you know it t- it it, Mar- it took Martian until like the twenty, what six nine twelve nine twelve. I feel like as long as Claude was the head coach, which was up until um, sometime in twenty sixteen when they canned him, or early twenty seventeen. Was Martian ever a first power play guy under under Claude? Um, like only for like very small stretches, but yeah, I mean, ne- never regularly, never for like a whole season. Mar- Martian probably. I, I this might be. I again, there's nothing to back this up. I just feel like had Martian been a a power play guy for the, his first six seasons in the NHL, I feel like he could have been flirting with a thousand points in a thousand games, maybe. Maybe, but um, that's total speculation. But I'm curious what it, what he'd be at if had he been a power play guy because he was always one of the best forwards, regardless if he was a rookie or not. Like he was always one of their 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 higher end forwards. So In yeah, even event. like that again because I was just like looking up random different Marshan things. Like the the 2011 Cup run, he he led the team in five on five goals in that postseason. Like. You almost just forget that because you're like, oh, like you know he broke through, you know he had he had established himself by that point, and you remember him scoring some big goals in the Cup final. But it's like, no, he he was literally their best five on five goal scorer that postseason, as you know his first full year as as a pro. Well, there you go. There's a little bit of Brad Marchand chatter before we <laughs> signed off. We had we had to get to it a little bit. We went on we, several tangents beforehand, yeah. but yeah. Congrats to Brad Martian on a thousand games. Let's talk about Tyler Sagan for eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and the by the way, you, you, you know yeah. where else there will surely be some Martian talk? Sunday skate this Sunday. There you go. Me, me, Bridget Razor, nine to eleven a.m. Mm-hmm. Season season premiere. That's right. Big stuff. 
Big stuff. I will Call be listening. Us. I will be listening. Hopefully, all of our listeners will be listening and calling in. Um, Bridget Scott, any anything else? We've been going for a little bit long today. Unexpected. Didn't think this would be a long episode, but it ended up being no. one of our longer ones. No. It okay. did. I think I was like, I think I said right around 55 minutes. We got to start wrapping this up. So I want to say one last thing about Charlie McAvoy. Um, <laughs> and that, right. that has turned out to really, yeah. that was like a half hour ago. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I am hungry though. So that's how All we right, well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm actually done now. So I'll do Okay. Now. All right. Be lost. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott. All right. So, signing off. Hope hope you guys all have a wonderful, wonderful Valentine's Day. Eat some chocolates, and we will talk to you all on Friday. <laughs>